0: You have told us that you have exalted your word above your very name. And your name, Lord, is very, very high. And if your word is exalted above your name, how important must be your word. Thank you, Father, that it is the vehicle by which we are saved. It is the vehicle by which we know you. It is the means by which we grow in faith. And as we're going to see today, it's the means by which we fight the spiritual battle against the evil one. Thank you today that we can say with Jesus, it is written for his sake, amen. One evening, Ellen and I attended a service where the well-known pastor, Lehman Strauss, was preaching And just minutes before the service, Dr. Strauss came and sat on the front row and I said to Ellen, I'm going to go down and tell him what his ministry has meant to me over the years. I said, I I think I still have time. And so I went down and sat next to him and expressed my appreciation to him. Uh, I recall how humbled he was as he listened to me express words of gratitude. And when I finished, there was only seconds before the service was to begin. There was very little time to say anything. And so he just looked at me and he said, stick with the word. That was it. No thank you. No nothing else. Just stick with the word. Well, then the service began, and I hurried back to sit down next to Ellen. I looked at her, and she said to me, what did he say? Stick with the word. Now, I don't remember anything that Dr. Strauss preached on that night. But I have never forgotten those words. Stick with the word. This morning we are coming to the last piece of armor in the whole armor of God. It is the sword of the spirit. And as we come to this message today, we are going to understand why Dr. Lehman Strauss said stick with the word. And I want you to take your Bibles again and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 and next week we will look at the final section which is staying in touch with the commander and that is prayer but here this morning notice verse 17 and take the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the spirit which is the word of god now again we want to do three things today we want to see the importance of the soldier's sword we want to see the spiritual meaning of the sword for us as Christians, and then we want to look at how this applies to our spiritual battle in the area of temptation and testing. And we'll look at the words of the Lord Jesus that were read for us so effectively earlier. So let's begin, shall we, by looking at the soldier's sword. The Roman soldier's sword, as you can see on the screen, was actually more like a dagger. Now, there was the broadsword that was used by horsemen, but this was the soldier's dagger in his scabbard, in his belt. It was called the Roman gladius, and it was the primary offensive weapon. It was about two feet long, and it was designed for hand-to-hand combat up close and personal with the enemy. Here's the genius of the Roman gladius. Swords of other armors were sharp only on one side. But the gladius was razor sharp on both sides and came to a sterling point. When the Roman army would advance against their opponents, enemy scouts would run from village to village and they would shout, the short swords are coming, the short swords are coming. No wonder somebody has said, this is the sword that conquered most of the known world. Now, here's the point about this sword. A skilled swordsman who could wield his sword well was a potent fighting force. A skilled swordsman who could wield this sword well was a potent fighting I think we can begin to see where this is going in the Christian life, can't we? And so let's move then, secondly here, to the spiritual meaning of the sword. And just as this sword was sharp on both sides, there are two sides to the spiritual meaning of the sword for us this morning. Here's the first side that I want us to see this morning as we look now at the spiritual meaning of the sword. Number one. The Holy Spirit's power works through Scripture. The Holy Spirit's power works through Scripture. I want you to look back with me for just a moment at the previous word about the Holy Spirit right before this text. It is Ephesians 5.18. And if you look at that text, this is the previous mention of the Holy Spirit before you come to this mention of the sword of the Spirit. And so I want you to notice what this says. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now the very next mention of the Holy Spirit is here in our text, "Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God." What is interesting about this, in Colossians 3:16 and 17, we are told that being filled with the Word is identical to being filled with the Spirit. So follow what this means for us. The Spirit and the Word work so closely together that they cannot be separated. The Spirit and the Word work so closely together that they cannot be separated. In the Protestant Reformation, uh, there were some self-identified prophets who separated the Holy Spirit from the Word. They were called the Zwickau prophets because they came from the German town Zwickau. And this is what they said, if you have the Spirit, He will speak to you directly, so you do not need Scripture. And they became fanatics and extremists. In fact, one of them was ultimately killed and beheaded because of his extremism. And Pastor Martin Luther opposed these people vigorously, and this is what he said, you cannot separate the spirit from the word any more than you can separate the soul from the body. You cannot separate the Holy Spirit from the word any more than you can separate the spirit from the body. There's a pastor who has said this very creatively, but very effectively. Listen to what he said. If you have the Spirit without the Word, you blow up. If you have the Word without the Spirit, you dry up. If you have both the Word and the Spirit, you grow up. And that is exactly correct. If the Spirit of God dwells within you, and you have the Word as well, that is the dynamic by which we grow up spiritually. And so the Holy Spirit's power always works through Scripture. Here's the second thing that we want to see this morning, the other side. The Spirit uses specific scriptures against specific temptations. The Spirit uses specific scriptures against specific temptations. Now normally when the Apostle Paul talks about the word of God in scripture, it is logos theu, logos theu. And we are familiar with the word logos because it's a title of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the logos, or the word. But here, Paul uses a much rarer expression. It is rhema theou. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema theu, the word of God. It is a much rarer expression and often this word "rema" means individual words and utterances. Individual words and utterances. So if that is what Paul is doing here by using this rarer expression for the word of God, he's not talking about the word generally. He's talking about the word specifically. That's what he's referring to. My well, old professor Tom Constable put it this way here's the meaning. The appropriate scripture spoken or put to use by the Christian in a given instance of temptation the appropriate scripture spoken or put to use by the Christian in a given instance of temptation. In other words, to be a skilled swordsman with the word of God, you must know the word more than just generally. You must know it specifically. That's the point that's being made. The Spirit of God uses specific scriptures against specific temptations. Now, who's our model for this? Isn't it Jesus? When he met Satan in the wilderness and defeated him, as we heard read earlier, what did he defeat him with? The sword of the spirit. And so this morning we want to move now thirdly to the sword's use in temptation and testing. And I want you to turn in your Bibles back to Matthew chapter four because I want us to see our Lord's example of the use of the sword of the Spirit in defeating Satan as he tempts and tests us. And this morning, I want to make three applications as Jesus uses the sword of the Spirit three times. And this is so important for our instruction and understanding this morning. Here's the first application. Scripture enables us to obey when God does not meet our needs on our timetable. Scripture enables us to obey when God does not meet our needs on our timetable. Look at verse 1 says. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil... And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now why did Jesus have to fast for 40 days like this? And the answer is very clear, it was the will of God. Verse 1 says the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness for these 40 days. Jesus, in this instance, had to fast for 40 days and 40 nights because it was in the will of God. And his obedience needed to be tested. That is a theme found throughout scripture that obedience must always be tested. Interestingly, the word temptation and testing comes from the same Greek word. And so here's what God does. God allows temptation so that we might be tested. And that temptation and tested is God's way of proving our love for him and building our spiritual muscles. There is no way that we can build spiritual muscles unless we are tested. And so God allows temptation and he allows testing to test our love and obedience for him. Now when Satan told Jesus, turn these stones into bread, Jesus quoted the perfect verse. Deuteronomy 8.3, look at verse 4. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God." Now the context in Deuteronomy is talking about the giving of the manna. God's people were out in the wilderness. They were hungry. They had no food. And God said, I'm going to give you food according to my word. And when he spoke the word, the manna came and fed the Israelites. Now, do you know in the same way it would be at the word of God that angels would be sent and minister to the physical needs of Jesus, as we see in verse 11, when the temptation was over, the angels sent by the word of God came and ministered to Jesus, giving him food. So what was Jesus saying? Jesus would obey the word of God and wait for the right time to fulfill his needs. That's what he was saying. I will not fulfill my needs outside of the will of God. I will fulfill my needs in God's will, and it is God's word that gives me the strength to wait until God's time. I had a friend many years ago who wanted to get married in the worst way possible. But the Christian guys that she was dating kept disappointing her. And finally, the day came where she said, God is being unfair to me, and I'm not going to wait any longer. She ran ahead of the Lord. And she married a non-believer. And she ended up on a very sad path from where she had been. What is the Bible teaching us here? God's timing is always right. Amen this morning. God's timing is always right, but only Scripture will keep us patient when the devil is tempting us to be impatient. When everything in us says, I have this need, and I want to fulfill this need now, and we have to be patient, it is only being anchored In Scripture, that will keep us obedient. Look at the second application of Jesus' use of the word. Scripture enables us to obey when God does not answer our questions, Scripture enables us to obey. When God does not answer our questions, look at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written in the Psalms, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, did you notice twice here in this temptation, Satan said, if you are the son of God, verse three and verse six, if you are the beloved son, which God had just said from heaven in the last verse of chapter three, Jesus, if you are that beloved son, then you should be able to show it. And so Satan says, you know what, there's a very interesting verse in the Psalms that talks about guardian angels and how guardian angels care for the children of God, and if you're the beloved son and God is well pleased in you, then certainly the guardian angel should take care of you. Why don't you show you're the beloved son and jump off the pinnacle of the temple? Jesus again, countered with the perfect verse, Deuteronomy 6.16, Jesus said to him, verse 7, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What does it mean to test God? Well, it means to require him to prove himself on our terms. That's what it means. God, you must prove yourself based upon my preconceived conditions and demonstrate to me that you love me as your child. You know what the problem with that is? It's forcing God to be answerable to us, isn't it? And God is never answerable to us. We are answerable to him, right? We are answerable to him. I read this week about a young woman who lost her faith over African AIDS babies. She was looking at row after row of cribs of crying babies who were AIDS-positive babies And she said, I lost my faith in a good God. Now we know why AIDS is in the world, don't we? We know. We know AIDS is in the world because of sin. But why one baby has AIDS and another baby is not born with AIDS? We don't have an answer to that, do we? Why should the African mother's innocent baby be born with AIDS? And your innocent baby is not born with AIDS. We don't have the answer to that question. And can't you see that African mother saying, God, you must prove your love to me by answering my question as to why my baby has AIDS. Do you see that? We can test God. By the way, all of us can go down this road, can't we? All of us have something in our lives we can go down this road. My dad could have said, Lord, why did I lose my father at nine years of age? Somebody else might say, why why do I have a handicap that has held me back in my life? Another person might say, I had a tragic accident and, and I'm now paralyzed or mentally handicapped because of the accident. Why did that happen to me? Another person might say, why did my husband leave me all alone? And my friend's husband is still with her. You see, we could go down these roads constantly and get to the point where we are testing God, saying, You must answer my question. You are answerable to me. J.I. Packer has a wonderful statement here about this that is so helpful. Listen to what he says We should not pry into God's secrets. Reverence excludes speculation about things that God has not revealed. We must be content not to know what Scripture does not tell us. And that is exactly right. And Scripture will keep us from testing God and turning away from Him in lack of faith if We know the word. Let's look at the third application of Jesus' use of Scripture. Number three. Scripture enables us to obey when God does not remove our pain. Scripture enables us to obey when God does not remove our pain. Look at verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, if we wonder, did Satan really have this kind of authority? 1 John 5, 19 says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So there is very clearly some legitimacy to Satan's offer. And why was this tempting for Jesus? Well, two two words in verse 8. Glory and kingdoms. Satan was offering Jesus glory without the cross. He was saying, Jesus, you can bypass the agony, the suffering of the cross, and you can gain the kingship without the crucifixion. When we see Jesus in agony, saying, Father, let this cup pass from me. This was a real temptation. You know what Satan often does? I think we all know. He dangles very nice things in front of us if we'll just obey, disobey God to get them, right? Here's something very nice dangled in front of us, but here's the catch. You have to disobey God to get them. You can have all kinds of friends if you're in high school, if you'll go to certain parties where you can get drunk and take drugs. Lots of friends will say, I'll be your friend. Just come to that kind of party. Do you know if you're a senior, you can have more social security breaks if you just live together unmarried rather than get married. A lot of seniors are doing that. And that list can go on and on and on of all the things that Satan dangles in front of us that we can have if we will just disobey him. And again, Jesus has the perfect verse. Deuteronomy 6.13. Look at what he says in verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written... You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. God, says Jesus, says the Bible, is to be worshipped, period. It doesn't matter how painful it might be. He is to be loved and obeyed. And the Bible says we will gain in the long run, but we may very well suffer much in the short run. And only scripture can keep us loving and obeying God when it's very painful. When it hurts. When there's a cost. Have you ever seen this memo? When faced with a busy day, save precious time by skipping your devotions. Signed, Satan. Satan. You ever seen that memo? Satan will do everything he can to keep us from wielding the sword. Because he knows the sword is the means by which the Holy Spirit enables us to be effective against him. And therefore, he will do everything he can to keep the sword out of our hand. Many years ago, Pastor Joseph Parker summarized why Jesus' victory here in Matthew 4 is so helpful to us and such a wonderful example. And I want to share with you what Dr. Parker said because it's just so very helpful. Listen to why Jesus had victory over Satan in these three temptations. Number one, it was not the result of Jesus' keen intellectual ability that is not available to us. Number two, It was not the result or the outcome of Jesus' quick quick wits, nor his creative genius. Number three. Jesus' answers did not come on the spur of the moment because of his infinite wisdom. Number four. Jesus' answers were not metaphysical arguments elaborately stated and discussed. Number five. Jesus' answers had authority because they were based on Scripture, which is God's authority. Number six, Jesus' answers were simple enough for the average child to understand. And number seven, Jesus' answers were quotations from the Word of God upon which he meditated day and night. And Jesus' power, powerful answers are available to every Christian who will take up the sword of the Spirit. That's why stick with the word. That's why Stick with the word. Let's ask the Lord to help us do that very thing. Father, what a treasure has been given to us. What a marvelous book that comes through the Holy Spirit and is empowered and made effective by Him. And if we want to be a potent fighting force, we must be men and women of the word. We must know it far more than just generally. We must know it as Jesus did specifically because we meditate on it day and night so that all that we do according to Psalm 1 will prosper in the right way. Teach us, Lord, to know your word, to study your word, to memorize your word, to share your word, to apply your word, so that when the tempter's arrows come to us, We know exactly what you have said, where the trap is, and find the strength to obey no matter the cost. Thank you, Lord, today for Jesus' sake.